In this town, there is no off-season. The news never stops, and neither do we. It's always game day in Cleveland with Andy Baskin and Daryl Ryder. It's always game day in Cleveland. He is Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. And boy, I got to tell you, Daryl, for the first time in a while, I am a little bit refreshed. I am refreshed from a press conference, and I didn't think that would happen for a long time. And I thought we got some interesting information today as Jim Schwartz was rolled out as the new defensive coordinator. You were there. What'd you think? There are 500 in offseason press conferences for 2023. That's what I think. That's blew awesome. The of, blew the end of seasoner, but came back strong with Jim Schwartz. Boy, I tell you, I couldn't even get a question in because every question turned into story time with Jim. He spoke for 40 minutes and I think answered a grand total of 10 questions. Like, yeah, <laughs> so it it wasn't much of a Q&A as it was Jim Schwartz just, I guess, being glad to be back in Cleveland, Ohio, or Berea, Ohio, in this, in this case, uh, where it all began for him back in 1993. We got to hear the the eating Bill Belichick's turkey sandwich story. Man, that was a crazy. Tell everybody the story because I think the story was amazing because as I was listening, I was getting nervous for him. Yeah. So basically what happened, this is back in 1993. He's a uh, unpaid intern at the time and uh, basically doing all the all the kind of grunt work for the organization. And at the end of minicamp, everyone, the building is empty. Everybody has gone home for the summer. And unbeknownst to him, Bill Belichick is actually still in the building. So he goes and he grabs a, a, a turkey sandwich, sits down, and he starts eating the thing. And here comes Bill Belichick wandering into the room. And he's like, hey, what's going on? And Schwartz is like, hey, I'm good. How are you? And so Bill starts Coach. ruffling around the room looking looking for the turkey sandwich. And he's like, hey, uh, have you seen the turkey? And he's like, uh, I just finished it, coach. <laughs> and Bill, I guess, uh, mumbled something under his breath and, and grumbled as he, as he walked out of the room. But uh, when Schwartz called his family to, you know, tell him, hey, you know, my my flight out of town is, I, I think he said 930 or something like that. He goes, but yeah, there may not be a return flight <laughs> because he ate Bill's sandwich. Yeah, I, but, the way he... I mean, he told the story about how, you know, he thought he was the only one in the building. He was sitting yeah. there working, and unbeknownst to him, Bill was still in the building. He couldn't believe it, and he had a, left a piece of turkey. He was eating it on crackers. I mean, the story was just like you felt bad for him, and then you're like, Bill walks out, and I was like, oh, yeah, I ate the turkey. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> yeah, he he lived to tell uh, the day that he made the. Sin of sins in eating Bill Belichick's dinner. But, um, yeah, he got real nostalgic. Of course, the, uh, you know, the media room out in Berea is uh, named after Dino Lucarelli, the longtime uh, PR uh, slash ambassador for the Browns for nearly uh, four decades. And he sits down at the microphone. And he looks up because Dino's picture is hanging uh, atop the back wall. And there's, you know, in, in letters, it says the Dino Lucarelli uh, media center. So he opens his press conference, you know, dipping into the, the bag of nostalgia and talking about the time in which Lucarelli set him up with Dante Lavelli, who at the time owned a furniture store 
because Schwartz was looking for a couch for his apartment. <laughs> and so Lavelli was able to hook him up with a couch that had gotten returned by somebody that I guess didn't like the order, didn't get what they ordered. So he was able to get a really nice couch from Lavelli. Uh, I'm guessing at a discount considering uh, at the time he was making next to nothing, but yeah, it was, it was fun to listen to him. Uh, you know, listen to somebody who has a tangible connection to the original franchise. And that was like the last takeaway uh, of the like 2000 word top takeaways that I put together for our website. Uh, that was really the last takeaway that I wrote about Andy is that, you know, really for the first time, one of the few people since 1999 in an important position that has come in here that actually has some skin in the game from the original franchise. And he was part of that move to Baltimore and he knows really what the Browns mean to fans in Northeast Ohio and look, he struck all the right notes. There's no question about it. Totally won the press conference. But at the end, when he when he talked about how he feels the responsibility to come back to Cleveland and help Kevin Stefanski get this defense uh, and team turned around so that uh, it can do what he experienced in Philadelphia with the Eagles, and that's win a Super Bowl. I thought that that was you know a pretty good way to mic drop it and uh, you know, uh, walk off the podium. He said, in my mind, there's only one place that would outdo that parade in Philadelphia, and we're here right now. And he got up and he, he left the, uh, the, the, uh, the podium there. So uh, a very strong introductory press conference uh, from Jim Schwartz. And I'll just say this, if he is able to accomplish everything he spoke about on Wednesday, Andy, this Browns defense is in great shape and uh, Kevin Stefanski can really continue to do what he's basically done since taking this job. And that is just worry about the offense and leave the defense uh, to Schwartz. Um, you know, since last time we talked, he actually got the job. So we haven't really, uh, you know, when you go back and look at his resume against everybody else's resume, it was impressive, you know, from being here before to pretty much coaching, you know, every team in the Midwest as he went through his litany of, you know, Buffalo and Tennessee, although Tennessee's not really Midwest, but um, Buffalo and Detroit and and just the 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 journey that brought him to Cleveland. Um, I thought it were back to Cleveland. I thought it was interesting. I, I think the one line that really hit me late was talking about the Super Bowl and saying that when you – he couldn't remember any of the plays from the game, but he re definitely remembered the parade afterwards. And I, I just think that that's so true in so many sports. You know, like, I, tell me how many games you can remember when the Cavaliers won the championship. You might remember the last one, right? There, really... I remember a few. <laughs> There's I know, a few. but you, you have to dig deep, right? You yeah. have to dig deep to get back and there and, and remember the conference. You know, they beat the hell out of the entire Eastern conference and, and that. So, but I understand your point. Um, and look, he's got his work cut out for him. And obviously we'll, we'll really dive into some of the things, some of the tangible things that we were able to take away from that introductory press conference, because there actually were, I mean, there were a lot of nuggets that came out of that press conference more than just nostalgia, more than just winning the press conference or, you know, saying all the things that get the fans excited and give them goosebumps and 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 things like that. I mean, there there were some there was some tangible meat on the bone uh, from that press conference. And and again, I, I think that 
in those 40 minutes, like you could just see why he is, he's been successful just about everywhere he's gone. Right. And you know what? I know he, I look, I know he got fired from Detroit and his overall record wasn't good, but he inherited an Owen 16 team and within three years had them at double digit victories and in the playoffs. And I think that there's something to be said for that. Tennessee, he turned their defense around. Went to Buffalo for one year before the, the you know the coaching staff got fired after one after the year that he was there. And I think it was 2014. He turned that Bills defense around in one year. Goes to Philadelphia, turns that defense around in one year. Second year, they're even better than the first. The third year, they're even better than the first and second. And they go on and win a Super Bowl. So you know, he has had tangible success. And he also explained why he stepped away from the game because of, you know, some health issues that uh, he, uh, you know, dealt with. He had a thyroid problem. Then he had some that impacted his overall health, including his vision and, and stuff like that. And I thought it was really compelling when he said, look, I could have kept going because of who I am, but I don't want, I never want to cheat the game. I never want to cheat my, the team that I'm working for. I never want to cheat the players that I'm coaching. And that's why uh, he, he stepped back a little bit and he was appreciative that the Titans brought him back into the fold. And he, you know, he, he did say on Wednesday, he's, he's good to go. He's ready to roll uh, with this, uh, you know, this Browns defense. So um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot to take away from those 40 minutes with Jim Schwartz on Wednesday. All right, Daryl, you talked about the Nuggets. We will get to those Nuggets from the press conference next. It's always game day in Cleveland. If you like what you're listening to, subscribe to the podcast. It's always game day in Cleveland. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. If you want to be a part of the show, you know how to do it. You hit us up on social media, uh, either on Instagram or Twitter, and you can do that at game day CLEs. All right, as promised, Daryl, you were going to give us some of the nuggets that you thought we got out of today's press conference with new defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz. Yeah, and before we do that, I'll let you know that uh, mobile sports betting, finally legal here in the state of Ohio. BetQL here to help to make the most informed bets possible. See all of today's best bets by heading to BetQL.com or downloading the BetQL app and claim your free three-day trial today. Head to BetQL.com slash news slash 923thefan for exclusive sportsbook offers. All right, so when we talk about some of these nuggets today, I thought some of his philosophical stuff towards defense was really deep and really interesting about, you know, sometimes you can rip a guy up and down while he's in there in practice, but you do it because you love him and you want him to get better, and sometimes you you do that, but at the end of the day when you walk off the field, you put your arm around the guy and you let him know how much you really care about him. Um, I, I That's always been a coaching philosophy that I've kind of adhered to, that I've enjoyed, watched, played under, um and coach like that sometimes because sometimes tough love isn't easy and I think that's what the this defense needs so give me some of your nuggets my man yeah well you know starting off with that the the trust factor right and trust, yep. um you know quite frankly I don't think that that's something that Joe Woods had um the, the players I think respected Joe Woods because of ex his experience and the fact that he was the boss he was the defensive coordinator but I don't think they really trusted what Joe Woods was asking of them, and that led to all of the the breakdowns, whether it was in communication or physical mistakes, mental mistakes, you name it, the busted plays uh, that we saw a plenty. I mean, my God, I keep going back uh, to that uh, game in Detroit against the Bills, end of the first half. Defense calls timeouts so they can get their you-know-what together and settle down, and what happens? 
They give up a wide open touchdown where there isn't a defender within the, uh, the same area code. And that just, to me, summed up the, the problems with Joe Woods and that defensive unit. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, him talking about that if you show the players that you can help them, that's going to really help. Uh, that's going to really prompt them to listen to you. And also, you have to treat everybody the same way. Uh, when he made the comment that our, our best players will be held to the most accountable players and that you you talk to and coach everybody the same way you don't get on the undrafted rookie free agent but then give the perennial pro bowler a pass in a drill or a, a you know something at practice um and uh i think that that's important and so just from the the people skills standpoint which is something that i had been harping on for like the last month uh, of the regular season and then going into the off season, I, I just, I think that Schwartz really did a nice job of just laying out how he has learned throughout his career and his various stops that he doesn't need to make paint peel off the walls with a bunch of profanities yelling and screaming at the players, even though he, he said, Hey, I look, I, I can get fiery if I need to, you know, I, I can get into a guy if I have to, but you know, I've learned that that's not always necessary to do something like that. So I think first and foremost, that is from the substantive portion of the press conference, that might be the most important. Then we get into how he feels about the linebackers, the fact that he's probably going to have a real good sit down with Miles Garrett and have a conversation with him about not only what's going to be expected uh, on the field, but what's going to be expected of him off the field and how Schwartz can make him better. And this is a player that's had 32 sacks in two years, you know, 16 sack seasons in back-to-back -back years, historic numbers that Garrett has put up. But I think Schwartz is going to make those sacks be more productive too. So uh, people skills right at the top of my list as far as the substantive takeaways. He did tell a bunch of stories throughout the – throughout the uh, press conference. But in uh, what other insights do you think you picked up from him today about the, the way things will, will work and how we can, you know, it, he did talk about, um, I'm trying to remember how he put this talking about miles Garrett in particular. And, you know, you talked about the expectations, but he also talked about making everybody better around miles and that, the expectations for him need to be I, I did you get the feeling they need to be elevated for him is that what you're trying to yeah. is that well, what he was trying to say yeah. I, I yeah. think what he's you know is he even mentioned look every offense is going to key on miles garrett and their goal is to shut him down and he basically I'm, I'm summarizing here uh you know he's he just said look you know while everyone's going to try and neutralize miles how do we keep and and how to stop him from wrecking the game it's my job as the defensive coordinator to give them miles in the defense answers and to scheme things up to allow him to still be productive even when the offense is focused on stopping Garrett and I, and I and again that just goes to um you know finding ways to connect the guys and get them to buy in to what he's going to be asking them to do and you know part of that conversation I think he's going to have with Garrett is hey you know what you might not still get 16 sacks a season. You might get 14 or 15, but 
the overall defense is going to be vastly improved and we're going to win more football games. Um, the other thing too, and it relates to Garrett because obviously Garrett's up front is that, you know, he's not a blitz crazy defensive coordinator. Fans often get excited about defensive coordinators that empty the clip when it comes to blitzing uh, Greg Williams, right? I mean, Greg, Greg Williams would just blitz out of his mind. Fans loved it, but that, you know, I thought when he said you don't have to blitz to get pressure on the quarterback, you can still blitz on, you know, situationally or personnel alignment, stuff like that, but you shouldn't be forced to blitz just to get the pressure on the quarterback. I thought that that was pretty revealing. So, um, and also important because this is a passing league and what happens you need guys in the secondary, right? You need some volume in that secondary. Uh, you you uh, you can't sell out on the blitz and defend the run very well, and and things. So it, it just it all play. It's all complementary defense. You know what I'm saying? And 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 I think that that's what Schwartz was trying to express on Wednesday. Daryl, obviously there there was personality in this press conference. Oh yeah. And- I mean, you, we it, that it was. Uh, I was fascinated by the press conference today. I'll be honest with you, because I, I know you said it was story time, but it was also a time to kind of listen. And you know, I, I've heard a lot of press conferences, and they're like, I, I the guy that won the press conference, the biggest press conference of all, I think, was Jimmy Haslam when he took over the team. Like, I hadn't felt that kind of enthusiasm for the organization in a long time, <clears throat> and then we saw that he won the press conference and lost games after that. So, I mean, you got to live up to what you're saying. And and I understood where he was going in his initial press conference, but you know, I, I it's hard to like, I want to be really, really excited about what we heard today, but it's words until you, until it's action. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Browns are 54, one Oh six and one under the Haslam ownership group with one playoff appearance and one playoff victory. And I've lost count of the head coaches, GMs, team presidents, and quarterbacks since they have taken over. If you but, go back, though, would you say he won his press conference? Yeah. When Jimmy took over, I think he won his. Oh, press he was he was he was the the night uh, on the you on know the on the on the horse uh, riding into town to to save the day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, and that's why I said at the top, I think that if if Jim Schwartz is able to come in here and put into effect everything that he spoke about, they're in great hands, and they're going to have tremendous success. And his track record shows that there's a lot of substance behind what he says. And um, the, you know, this is not a situation where he had success at one stop, and that's it. Like He has had tangible success and marked improvement on the defensive side of the ball every place he's gone in the national football league. And so the expectations for him here in Cleveland now are high. Granted, the bar is low considering what he's taken over, but, um, you know, he does have some pieces and parts here to work with. And, um, Let's talk about that when we come back, Daryl. Let's do yeah, that. I mean, there's, there's, but the the pressure is going to be on him to deliver because Kevin Stefanski is not going to micromanage the defense. Like this is going to be Jim Schwartz's show on that side of the football. 
So I, I do feel like there's tangible reason for Browns fans to feel optimistic about this hire and not feel like they can just sit there and roll their eyes and say, oh, yeah, they won a press conference, but what are they going to win in the fall? Because I really do think that Schwartz is going to help them win some games in the fall. All right. The Schwartz is with us. That should be the theme of today's show. It is definitely with us, right, Daryl? Yes, I know you'll say yes. Never All right, let's come back. underestimate the power of the Schwartz. This is true. And now we have twice the power of the Schwartz on this team. And I, Maybe. and you know what? I don't want to hear about your Schwartz being bigger than mine. Uh, we're not talking about Schwartz's here anymore. I'm done. Done. When we come back, we'll get uh, dive a little bit deeper into today's press conference, a couple more nuggets from the press conference, and we'll talk about the impact of the Schwartz. It's always game day in Cleveland. It's always game day in Cleveland. We're talking about Jim Schwartz's introductory press conference today as we uh, embrace the offseason for the Browns while the rest of the teams are uh, engaged in the playoffs as well as the we're on the outside looking in. If you like what you're listening to, subscribe to the podcast. Daryl, what other nuggets, because uh, you talked about plenty of nuggets today coming out of that press conference, what else did you uh, walk away from the press conference with? Well, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about the the size at linebacker and whether or not the Browns are big enough at that uh, particular position. And, um, you know, he, he basically said the most important, two most important things to him are instincts and communication. Uh, he doesn't get wrapped up in numbers when it comes to linebackers. Now, he did concede, don't want guys, you know, to cross maybe the 250-pound plateau, but he has coached guys that have been in the 220s or the 230s who have had very successful uh, careers. So um, for all those that worry about the size of the Browns linebackers, I don't think that that's nearly as important to Jim Schwartz uh, as it might be to them or even some members of the media. But I listen, I, I have for years, I've been in the camp of the Browns needed impact thumper at linebacker. They they've had they've had that need since 1999. They have never had an impact linebacker. They've had some good linebackers. Uh, You're saying since 99, right? Yeah, yeah, since 99 in the expansion era. Jameer Miller was good. DeQuan yeah. Jackson was good. Yeah. Um. Um. Uh. Uh. uh, uh, uh I'm drawing a blank. So it starts with an uh, not Schwartz. Um. Uh, the line, the, uh, the hell's is he was a draft pick. Like in 2016, he was here for like four years. I'm drawing a blank. Oh, um, uh, he made the pro bowl one year. He ended up in Tampa. Right? Yeah. Um, God, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm dying here. Cause it's Schobert, Joe Schobert. Yeah. Joe Schobert. Yeah. Yeah. From there we go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, the Wisconsin kid, you know, he, he good player, but not a game changer. Like, so they've had good players. Like JOK, I think, is a really good player. Um, he has the potential to be a game changer, but he's not there yet. So they've not had that guy, and they need that guy. I, I just, I'm a firm believer in that. I don't care if you're running a 4 3, 3 4, whatever, a 2 4, say, what, what, I don't care what you run. Um, they need an impact player at that position, especially in this division. I, I will live and die by that thought. Um, but I did find his uh, take uh, on the size not being everything at linebacker to be rather uh, interesting. It's, it's, I think the other problem, I think, sometimes when we think about linebackers is, you know, 
I, I think we want to walk down the Eddie Johnson road. We want to walk down the Mike Johnson. We want to talk about Bam Bam Ambrose. We want to talk about, you know, um, I mean, there's just so many great linebackers that we saw before the team flipped over in 19. Chip Banks was amazing. I'm just kind of going through some of the names in the back of my head. Jim Houston was a standout. I, we we used to be such a great um, linebacker core, Walt Michaels and, and Clay Matthews Jr. And just, I don't know if I said Clay before or not, but, you know, those were the guys that I think made up our history in the back of our heads. And it's just like I, I, the game has changed a little bit. And in some ways, I think the linebacker has become, <laughs> excuse me, the running back of the defense as far as being expendable. But, I, you know, when you see a great linebacker that's out there, I, I just I, I think it's weird when they pass on them in the draft because they're a linebacker. I just it kind of bothers me the way the game has changed that way. But defensive ends became the linebacker of this generation. So, um, edge rusher, yeah, DN, edge rusher. Yeah. yeah. That, like, it, um, I just was doing my uh, pro football writers uh, awards voting before recording this podcast. And, you know, we're still doing inside, you know, inside linebacker, outside linebacker. And honestly, I wish we'd just vote on linebackers because it's, it's so blurred these days, even with the edge rushers, because, um, you know, some of these edge rushers are actually outside linebackers in some schemes and, and things like that. But, um, yeah, I just I, I I think that um, because the game continues to evolve, that the, 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 the true, you know, some of the, I guess, true defensive schemes from the 80s, 90s and even the 2000s, like they, it's just the game's evolved. Um, and, uh, but the one thing in my mind that hasn't evolved is just having that big hitting game wrecker right in the middle of the defense. Like to me, there's, there's just that, that translates every, you know, to every era of the sport. You know what I'm saying? You needed it back in the eighties. You needed it in the nineties and, and, and you need it today. Um, so yeah, I uh, would like to see the. Uh, look, I, look, I hope they have it in JOK. I hope he turns into that. But if they don't, or if he doesn't, I should say, then hopefully the Browns can find a way to get one of those dudes because they need him. All right, Daryl. Let me throw one topic here as we we wind down today's podcast. Um, and I'm just I'm curious your thoughts on this because I th- thought it was a great weekend of playoff football that we saw last weekend, but the bookends weren't very good. The first game, the Seattle game. Uh, against the Niners was eh. and then the last game was Cowboys Bucks but listen to this nugget that just dropped um I don't know within the hour about ratings did you see the ratings on this for Monday night's game they the NFL Cowboys Bucks could do a paint drying competition and pull bonanza ratings so that wild card game in Tampa drew 31.2 million viewers it marked the largest NFL audience on ESPN and ABC since they had the Super Bowl back in 06. It was the second most watched non-Super Bowl game in Disney's history and was the most watched non-Super Bowl playoff game ever seen on the network. That is amazing to me how the NFL is just Midas. And when they touch something, it turns to gold. And it's- you would think this weekend's matchup would probably garner some of the same attention. All right, so do you want to do some playoff picks then? You want to yeah, wrap let's do it real quick. Yep. Some, some playoff picks here. Yep. 
Okay, uh, let's uh, start with Saturday's game. Jaguars-Chiefs, who you got? I got the Chiefs. The Jaguars, while it was fun, while it lasted, they're going to get blown out. What do you yes, think? I, I'm right there with you. Chiefs, the 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 Chiefs all the way to the A. The only thing that could that could mar the Chiefs is if they come out a little rusty because they have the week off. I'm not buying that for a minute though. Nope. No, I I th- actually to your point, I think that's going to be a curb stomping. Quite frankly. Yep. I yeah. Uh, Giants Eagles an NFC East throwdown. Who you got? I got the Eagles just because I don't want to listen to Poobah for the week. <laughs> that's why. I don't. No, I don't no. need to hear anything about his Giants. I'm done. I'm well, Although no, I am kind of rooting for Brian Dable, I liked him. I like him. You're, so. you're, you're going to anyway because if they lose, he's just going to be crying about it all week. Uh, <laughs> that's I'll, true too. I, I think the Eagles uh, survive in advance. That one, I have a feeling, is going to be a slugfest. Plus, now uh, I pick I, and and staying true to my Heights roots, I picked both the Kelsey brothers for our first two picks. So go ahead. Yes. Gotcha. Bengals and Bills. Um, I think the Bengals are hot right now. The Bills, I, I still think that something doesn't look right. It's just there's a, something a little bit off. I know the Bengals in, in Ravens game was tight. Um, I think the Ravens defense was really, really good, and I think that that was underestimated going into the game. I like the Bengals to keep this Halloween scare going because they haven't lost since they lost to the Browns. Uh, I'm going the other way. I'm okay. going with a, a neutral site AFC championship game in wow. Atlanta, which I think is complete nonsense, but it's going to happen. And hmm. don't be surprised if the NFL starts bidding out conference championship games now. Brutal. Total, total Chiefs, holds job to the fans. Holds yeah. Job. I, yeah. I'm, I'm taking the bills over the Bengals. So uh, I like it to be a chiefs and bills AFC championship game. And then the, Grand finale. Uh, grew up watching these guys duke it out in the playoffs all the time. Joe Montana versus Emmett Smith. We got this time it's the Cowboys and the 49ers. Um, I liked Kyle when he was here. I still like the Niners. I love the Purdy story. Love it, love it, love it. And I'm on board for the Niners, and I hope they have good success. I got Eagles, Niners. Yep. Eagles, yeah. Niners. So we're only one difference. I took the Bengals. You took the Bills. Yep. And, uh, I'll, I'll make my Super Bowl pick right now. I'm going. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Why would you do that today? Wait. Okay. Wait. Don't want Don't want me to go all in with the chips? Say go it. in. Knock nope. it out. Nope. Sorry. Okay. All right. We'll do it next time. Hey, thanks for listening. For Meredith Kane, our outstanding producer, it's been fun. It's been a blast. And if you like it, why don't you subscribe to the podcast? We'd love having you on board. If you want to be a part of the show in the near future, all you need to do is hit us up on social media on instagram or twitter at game day cle for daryl Ryder, meredith kane i'm andy baskin it's always game day Cleveland.